You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. So before we jump into the message, I just wanted to remind you that we have Next Steps. And if you don't know what Next Steps is, Next Steps is just a class, and it's actually happening right this moment. So if you want to know a little bit more about who we are as a church, um, connect with us as NTC, or just even in that decision-making process, if you want to call this your family or your home church, we really encourage you to take our Next Steps class. It's just the length of the message time, and uh, it's every week except next week, (laughs) because it's Easter next week, but this week is week one, so it's a great week to actually start. So listen, if you're newer or if you have never done it, I would just encourage you to consider doing it. There's some folks back there right now. They're going to get started in just a couple moments. You could stand up and just go. It's right, literally the room on the right as you head out of the um, the hallway there. And so we really want to encourage you, if you are new, it's the best way to really get to know us. You know, we try to connect. There's a large group of people here. Um, but we also want to meet you, and we want to get to know you, and we want you to know who we are as you really decide if this is a home for you when it comes to church. And so next steps, it's happening after uh, worship each week, and so we'd love to have you join. Um, the Garlos, I think, are back there. James is actually standing in the doorway, so if you feel like my message gets boring in the first five minutes, you can always leave too, all right? And my message is recorded, so you're not missing it. You can just listen to me later. Uh, but we don't record that class. So anyway, if you'd like to, we'd love to have you join us for Next Steps. You'll hear us talking about that each week. All right. So Palm Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays. Actually, this is my favorite week. You know, I had this idea like three days ago that I was not going to spring on our staff because they would have killed me. But maybe next year, I actually, I love the entire week leading up to Easter And there's, if you read through the scriptures and the gospels, something happens every day, (laughs) very clearly in the gospels, between literally the day before um, Palm Sunday all the way leading up to Easter. And I think maybe I want to do a service every day next year, which just sounds crazy. Uh, And you can come and listen. More on a teaching side to say, what is God actually doing? There, A lot happens in these seven, eight days before Easter that really is incredible Um, to look at. And so today, when I come to Palm Sunday, I'm always like, oh, what do I want to talk about? Because there's so much that happens in kind of a a two or three day period that really is around Palm Sunday that matters drastically. So um, I don't know if you noticed, I put a little video out on our Facebook page just because there was a whole part of just, you know, what happens on Palm Sunday. It's one of my favorite stories where Jesus gets mad Anybody like that story? If you don't know it, Jesus gets angry too. That should make you feel better immediately. So Jesus gets angry after he comes into town, into Jerusalem, and they're all worshiping him, and they're putting the palm branches down, they're putting their coats down, they're saying, Hail King Jesus, or King of Israel. And you've got this incredible moment, but immediately he goes to the temple and gets mad, and he starts flipping tables. And uh, in this situation, he, he ends up, flipping all these tables, and he makes this declaration. This temple was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. And there's a whole, you know, story behind why he's doing that, and this, that that place in the temple is the court of the Gentiles. And so I wanted to preach on that too, but I, I just really can't fit three messages into one. Um, it's impossible, so I put a little thing out earlier. And uh, Lazarus, the story of Lazarus happens in 
John chapter 11. Listen, if you have your Bibles, open up to John. That's where we're going to read out of today. But in John chapter 11, we see the story of Lazarus, where Jesus shows up to his best friend's burial. He's been buried. He's in the tomb, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus has been literally entombed, which is a a pretty crazy process, but yet he is raised from the dead. He comes out in his grave clothes days after he was dead, and Jesus raised from the dead. This is the day before he comes in Jerusalem, just before. And it's actually one of the precipitating events to why everybody shows up in Jerusalem and says, hail the king of Israel, because they just saw him raise someone from the dead, and it blew their minds. And so people were beginning to believe in larger numbers, maybe this is the Messiah, the one who is supposed to free us. And in their heads, it was very small, like Sherry said. What she said today is so true. And I think we get stuck in the same thing. I'm going to preach a bunch of messages, so just pay attention. I think we get stuck in the same thing that the Jewish people did too. Even today in America, it's so easy for us to say, oh, God, save our country. But that is small thinking when we talk about the God of the universe. Because nations come and go, sorry to say that. But Jesus does not. The king of kings does not. And that's why when Jesus came, he wasn't even really that concerned about the Roman government. He says like two things. And one of them is pay your taxes. Like, Jesus, you could have left that out. But there's this place where he's trying to do something so far beyond our understanding. And so much is happening here. And so Palm Sunday is this really incredible moment for us to really try and grasp what was Jesus accomplishing. And this seven, eight days leading up to Easter, he does a lot of stuff and says a lot of stuff. And so I want to focus in today, not on just the triumphant entry moment, but some of the things that he says and some of the things that take place right after, not the part where he gets angry in the temple. But let's start in chapter 12. Verse 12 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, open them up. If you have your phone, you can use that. Again, we always want to remind you we have uh, cases of, uh, uh, what do you want to call those? Bookshelves of Bibles on the back. Sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, you're such a good communicator. And then I'm like, dude, I forget the most normal words sometimes. Uh, Bookshelves. There you go. They have Bibles back there for you for free. All right. Uh, John 12, verse 12 through 17. I want to just read the story. Of Jesus coming in. It says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. This was after he raised Lazarus, right? A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. This is as tall as it gets. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. So the reason the Pharisees are are mentioned there is because at the end of him raising Lazarus from the dead is when really the Pharisees made a final decision, we've got to kill him. Which makes no sense, really, other than they knew 
that whatever Jesus was doing was now beyond their control to ever regain. And this is what's kind of difficult about religion. Religion has this side to it that if we're not careful, it turns into control. We try to control our own lives. We try to control the lives of those around us. And the Pharisees had fallen trapped to this same thinking. And even though they literally just saw a man raised from the dead, they decided the best remedy for someone raising people from the dead was to kill him. It shows you this dichotomy of what happens inside us at times when even when we're faced with the most incredible moments with Jesus, if there's not this right heart within us, it's hard for us to see the goodness. It's why we sing the songs we do, because it's so easy for the world to mask the goodness of God, even when we can see it right there in front of our face. And the Pharisees are trapped in this thinking, and they've begun to plan to kill him, but they realize there's so many crowds around, and all these people really like him, there's nothing we can do about it just yet. So let's go on, verse 20, chapter 12. It says, some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida and Galilee. They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. And Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. So this is still all in the same moments. They're coming into Jerusalem. It, this hasn't ended. The procession hasn't ended. They're just coming to try and interrupt. They want to meet Jesus. So they're asking Philip, and Philip's asking Andrew, hey, can these people meet Jesus? This is part of where I want to start to focus this morning. This is Jesus replied, now the time has come, or, or it says Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. So they went and asked Jesus, hey, would you meet these Greeks? Verse 23, it says Jesus replied. Now, I love Jesus' replies. He almost never answers the question. Like, never. Like, they're just like, hey, can you meet some of these friends of ours? And Jesus has to be very complicated sometimes, and this is what he says. Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the fa Father will honor anyone who serves me. I'm going to stop there. So you've got these guys that come to Jesus and they're just literally asking, hey, would you meet these Greeks? And there's a whole, there's a whole reason they're actually calling them Greeks because it matters that Greeks are coming to see Jesus. And there's a whole tension between the Greeks and the Jewish people and how they would have viewed them. And, and the, the fact that it's being reminded in Scripture to us matters, but I'm not going to go there today. But you have this moment where they just want to meet Jesus, and he gets really deep really fast. And he makes this statement, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for the life in this world will keep it for eternity and this statement is possibly one of the most summed up statements that I think explains Christianity. Because you see, we come to Christ, and the truth is when we come to Christ, it's usually out of difficult experience, actually. We, we usually only come to God when it's our last, re, you know, last option. 
We've tried everything else in life. We've tried success and reputation and Maybe we've tried drugs and alcohol, and maybe we've tried relationships or, or whatever it is, money, whatever the things are. And we tend to realize at some point in our life those things fall short of fulfillment. And that's when we tend to end up in front of God. And we all get there in different ways. We all find ourselves on different paths. But the truth is most of us come to God because we've tried to cling to this life in a way that doesn't actually fulfill. And so there's this tension, and, and Jesus is trying to put it out there so that they really understand it. And I think Christianity today, we don't talk about this quite enough because the reality of life in Jesus is this. It's death to everything else. It really is this requirement, and, and I love he uses this farming language, right? He says, unless a kernel of wheat goes in to the soil and dies, it remains alone, that there's this place where we understand that when seeds go into the ground, in all understanding, they're dead, but somehow out of that death comes new life. In Christianity, this is the reality of what Jesus is doing. He, he beckons us to come to him, and that's what this whole week reminds us. He's beckoning us to come to him, and he says, listen, I want you to come into my family. I want to restore you. I want to do all these incredible things. I'm a good God. But there's a death process too. We love Easter Sunday, but it only happens because of the cross. He dies first, then comes back to life. And the unfortunate side for us is that it's the same process. <laughs> that it takes our death to this world to the things that we expect, to all the things that we think should be the way they should be. It takes our death to clinging to that kind of thing. And then when we've actually let go of that type of life, we die to that in a real, actual way. And then all of a sudden, new life comes. But the struggle for us is that we tend to not let go very easy. We tend to hold on to that old life. You know, I love the story of Lazarus because there's this moment, right, where it says Lazarus come forth and he comes out of the grave and he's standing there and it says he has his grave clothes on. Basically, just imagine he looks like a mummy and he's come out of the grave somehow by himself, but then immediately Jesus makes this statement, help him get those grave clothes off. And I love this because the truth is he couldn't take them off himself. He needed help. And there's this reality that even we want to cling to that. I, I love the, the part of the story where the women come to find Jesus, and they're not really even expecting him to be raised from the dead. They're just coming to visit his tomb. And there's this place where we can kind of make our residence in the tomb in the place where God brought us out of the tomb, but we kind of want to live in the cemetery. And so we end up clinging to the very life that God wanted us to die to, even though, you know, we know it's not what we want, we know it's not what's good for us, but we cling to it. And Jesus is summing this statement up, and he says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. And that word love, it literally means well, it means love, like you're thinking, but it means to sell out for. It's like you, you gave up everything else for that. 
And there's this life that Jesus is trying to get us to see, like, it's worth letting go of. It's worth letting the thing completely die, even with the uncertainty of what you know Jesus is going to produce out of it. But we see the scripture that there's this place where if we let it die, then Jesus is going to produce something great. And he says, those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Now listen, I don't want you to read that scripture and think, well, like self-care doesn't matter. Because listen, I believe in self-care. <laughs> I really do. I'm, I'm, if you know me at all closely, I'm, I'm extremely regimented because if I'm not, then I'm not a very good person. And so I think about the amount of sleep I get and the time I have and how many meetings I have in a day. Because if you meet with me after 4 p.m., I'm generally not a good pastor. I'm just thinking about going home. <laughs> and so there's this place where I'm regimented and I understand that I need to take care of myself. That's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying if you don't cling to that life, if you don't just make it all about you, then you will actually gain life for eternity. And there's this tension. It's this kind of upside-down thinking. Lose your life, you gain it. Cling to your life, you lose it. And... The thing I think about in this moment with Jesus is he's in the midst of this massive crowd. He knows that they're probably thinking wrong about what he's going to accomplish. They think, hey, he's probably the Messiah. He just raised a guy from the dead. He's probably going to do that for a whole bunch of people so we have a big army and can take over the Roman government. And they're thinking wrong and he knows it so he throws this wild statement out there to just mess with them, to just turn upside down the way they thought Jesus was going to work. He's in the midst of this huge crowd, and this is what he chooses to say. And when I read that, I think, if he's choosing to say this in the midst of such a large crowd, it's something we better take note of. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, we're going to move on a little bit, who wants to be my disciple must follow me because my servants must be where I am, and the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Verse 27. Now my soul is deeply troubled. This is Jesus. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. This is similar recording to when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew. It says he's sweating blood, that he's crushed with grief to the point of death, and he asked God, can you take this cup from me? But he says, not my will, but yours. I, I like this because it shows the reality that when we follow God's ways, it's not always easy. And even when we're in the midst of it, sometimes we want a different way out. It's like, Jesus, I want everything you have, but could you spare me the death of that? And the reality is, no. He can't spare you the death because then it's not the thing he has. There's this place where he understands he has to go to the cross. He knows it, but yet even in his this moment, Jesus, the Son of God, is like, should I ask the Father, save me from this hour? Because Jesus knows what's coming. It says, then a voice spoke from heaven, and this is one of the big parts I want to point out today. I've read this so many. I've read this story so many times, and sometimes I read it and I'm like, "Wait, what happened? I don't remember that." A voice comes from heaven in this moment. It says then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, "I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again." 
When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. So this happens one other time that we see, and it's in Matthew 4. I think I'm quoting that right. I should have wrote that down. But Matthew 4 is the moment where Jesus gets baptized. It says the heavens split open and something like a dove comes down. It's the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus and a voice from heaven shouts out over Jesus, this is my son whom in whom I am well pleased. This incredible moment. I, I really would love to see those replayed at some point. I can't even picture them. But here's another moment. Palm Sunday. The crowds are around. They're saying, hail the king of Israel. And truthfully, if they were saying, hail the king of Israel, I want you to understand, that was a revolutionary term, meaning literally revolutionary. They wanted him to start a revolution. And so you've got a, a rowdy crowd out there who's looking to, the, to this man they believe is their Messiah and their king, and then he makes this statement about if they want to live, they have to die. And if they cling to their life, they won't have it for eternity. And then in that moment, a voice from heaven comes down. I really don't know how to picture this. But it wasn't like a voice inside their heads because everybody heard it. And then they began debating. What was that? It says, when the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder. While others declared an angel had spoken to them. Verse 30, then Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit not mine. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. I'm going to stop there for a minute. So you've got this voice that booms out from heaven. Immediately people are debating. And I, I read the scripture and I think, man, don't we do this? We have an, an incredible, like, experience with Jesus sometimes. Something that you literally can't deny happened, but then just moments later we're like, or was that thunder? <laughs> was that really God? Maybe that was just the song on the radio. <laughs> was that really him speaking to me? Or, or maybe it was just circumstance. Maybe it was just coincidence. And, and I think we can kind of fall prey to the same difficulty that Jesus comes again he wants to move in our lives he wants to do something incredible but it's easy for us to immediately write that big thing off as did it really happen did God really do that and the crowd right there in the midst of it some of them are like oh an angel just spoke some of them are probably recognizing as the father and then some are like no no it's just thunder and you can see that at the end of the day even when God does something for everyone Everyone can take it very differently. That God might be speaking truth to all of us, but yet we can all hear things differently. We can all receive things differently. And when I look at these crowds, I think to myself, man, I don't want to be the naysayer in the crowd. As a Christian today, I don't want to hear the words from Jesus. I don't want to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying, right? We did a whole message series on Revelation and there was this constant re repetition in one of the chapters that says, listen to what the Spirit is saying. There's this place where I don't want to hear the Spirit say something and then just go, eh, maybe it was just that pizza from last night. Maybe that was just a weird dream. Maybe God's not really speaking to me. I'm telling you, He wants to speak to you today. 
He wants to declare his goodness over you today. Jesus literally says, that wasn't for my benefit, it was for yours. That literally God spoke from the heavens because he wanted the people to hear his voice and some immediately discounted that it wasn't him. We don't want to be those people. Let's keep going. Verse 31, it says, The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out when I am lifted up from the earth and I will draw everyone to myself. These are some big scriptures. You know, I think sometimes we hear this word judgment and it's easy for us to kind of almost cringe, right? It's one of those like, ugh. Because we don't like the, the idea of judgment, right? We don't want people to judge us. We, we don't... We shouldn't be judging others. There's lots of scriptures about that. And even in Christianity, I'm, there's whole sides of Christianity that it's all focused on judgment. That, listen, if you don't repent now, God's going to judge you. And there's this really intense focus on the idea of judgment over our lives. And I, I want to kind of hit this idea of judgment today. Because I think that sometimes if we come to God just under this idea that if we're afraid of his judgment, we're not actually coming under the right circumstance. There's a truth to judgment, but I want to actually pull apart what this truth is. I spent quite a few hours actually on Friday just reading about judgment and understanding when it comes because we're going to read some scriptures at the end of this chapter that seem to contradict to this exact statement that Jesus makes. So Jesus says, the time for judging this world has come, but then I want to jump, let's just jump, I'll show you the contradiction, or at least the feeling like one, to verse 47, same chapter. This is Jesus, he says, I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not to judge it. That's the NLT, I think I have the ESV up there. It says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But yet, just a minute ago, it says the time of judging is coming. Actually, there's some scriptures in John 9 that would make it even feel more contradictory, where Jesus literally says, I, came, I, ca I come as a judge in this world. Yet here we get all the way to John 12, moments, days before Jesus' death, and he makes this statement, If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. I had to read it a lot of times because I kept thinking, is the not supposed to be there? Because I'll tell you what, my Christianity, my theology is that there is a judgment we have to face. There's a place where we stand before God and he judges our salvation. And I'm reminded in the moment like this, and this is the tension always, that Jesus says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. But then he has this qualifying statement, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And this is a reminder that even if we listen to God's words and don't keep them, but if we trust in Jesus as our Savior, you get to get away from the judgment. That's good news. You want to know why? Because that's all of us. Because every one of us hears the words and don't keep them. We don't do it perfectly. You know, sometimes I think we, we put this 
this cloak on in Christianity where it's like we try to make our lives look perfect and right and everyone around us like, hey, look how good I am. Look what, look how good of a person I am. Look how good of a Christian I am. At the end of the day, that's not really the case. We hear the words of Jesus, but we often do not keep them. But that is not where our salvation comes from. Our salvation doesn't come in the keeping of those good works. And this is a reminder. But one of the things that I realized in this process is when it says judge here, and it says I did not come to judge the world, if you go back into the Greek, the words for judge are slightly different here. And this one actually talks about the person of a judge. It means that he doesn't hold the title in this moment. He's saying, I'm not going to be the one with the title who judges the world. And if we go back to the scripture we just read in John 12, but earlier, which one is it? Uh, verse 31, the time for judging this world has come. That actually is another slightly different word, and it's the process of judgment. That there's a process happening right now where judgment is taking place. And this is the thing I want to encourage us in. Judgment isn't supposed to be a bad thing. Judgment means justice is served. Let's think about judgment in terms of justice. Who here cares about justice? I do. I mean, look at the tragedies happening in our world right now. Another school shooting. A person who comes into a school distraught and literally with plans just to kill as many people as possible. And, and listen, in that moment, there's this, I, I don't know about you, but I, I get almost angry in those kinds of moments. And what do all of us cry for in a moment like that? Justice. There's a place where God, Jesus, died for the sins of even that man who did the shooting, but it doesn't always remedy from us the, us the consequences of this world. And so all of us, like God, cries out for justice against something like that. And there's this, that's what Jesus is trying to say. There's a justice coming to this world. And I love because he qualifies with the statement, he says, when the Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. See, he's coming to judge the one who has caused us all to go astray. The one who's come right from the beginning of time in the tree and however that took place, the, the serpent who whispers in the woman's ear that from the beginning of time has led us astray and that Jesus is actually saying, listen, there's a judgment coming, but it's not a judgment you're supposed to be afraid of because, listen, even if you hear my words and don't keep them, I'm not going to judge you because I came to save you. But I am coming for a judgment, a justice over this world, a world that has gone astray, and the one who has led it astray, Satan. That is what's so encouraging about this time of year. Yes, there's this death process that we cannot run from, and I would beg you, don't run from it. And then there's this life, this everlasting life Jesus wants to give us, but there's also a judgment process that's taking place around us, and it's actually something to be celebrated. I, I love how Jesus, how God takes the very thing that the enemy thinks he's going to use in our lives to kill us, and it becomes the very thing that brings us life. You see, the enemy actually thinks he killed God on Friday. He thinks he nailed him to the cross, and he hung him there, and that he 
caused death to the very Son of God. But yet three days later, we see it turned on its head. God takes the very thing the enemy thinks he's using to destroy us and turns it on his head. That is the judgment of what Jesus wants to do in your life. And it's a good judgment. Hear the words, but hear what I'm trying to say. That the very thing that maybe we've clung to in our life that we don't fully want to die to is actually the thing that Jesus is going to turn on its head and is going to be the thing that brings us life. But there's this difficult decision in the midst of it. You know, I, listen, I am absolutely, there's this tension in Christianity. I'm like, listen, the family of God, it's open to everyone. And it is. But I sometimes tend to make it like sound really easy. But what should be followed up after that statement is like, listen, Jesus wants you to come in and he has new life. But you just have to die first. <laughs> Wait, what would you say? Uh, he's going to kill you. Because there's this tension of like, wait, I have to die to live. The thing that the enemy has used in my life to kill me is the thing that God's going to use to bring me freedom. It's not supposed to make sense. And that's why, because then what, what it takes, since it doesn't make sense to us, is trust, faith. A place where we actually put all our chips on the table in a way where we don't get to even see the cards. Sorry, I used a gambling reference. But there's this place where it's like, Jesus is inviting us into this incredible life, but it takes the risk of everything that we know. But without the risk of everything we know, we never actually fully enjoy the fulfillment of the life he has for us. And so there's this death process. And, and Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into the city and they're all praising him. And, and any one of us would have been like, yes, I've done great things. And Jesus is like, oh, don't get too worked up. You've got to die. And there's judgment coming. And there's this, he, he speaks this tough language, but it's the reality because he wants them to understand the cost that's involved with following him. But it's a good cost. You know, I love this one parable where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man found in a field. It says he goes and he buries it, but then he sells everything he has to buy the field and own the treasure. There's this realization that the man realized that everything he had was nothing compared to the worth of the treasure he finds in the field. That's Christianity for us. It cost him everything he owned, to get the money to buy the field, but at the end of the day, he understood the cost, and that's what I'm almost pleading with you to hear today. The cost is great, but it does not outweigh what God wants to give you in that treasure in the field. He wants to give you new life, everlasting life, freedom in every single way, healing and wholeness, he wants to bring reconciliation in relationships. He wants to bring peace to our minds. He doesn't want us to live just partially in the kingdom of God. And there, listen, there's an option for that, unfortunately. We can come and receive the grace of Jesus that he died on the cross, and then we can do what those things said, and it's, we won't get the judgment of salvation. We aren't going to miss out on salvation, but we're absolutely going to miss out on the kingdom of God in our lives in this world. And so we can kind of just be 
pew sitters, even though we don't have pews. We can come to church and just check our time card and, and do the things that we do. It's, it's like what Elaine was talking about. We get into this roteness of life, even in Christianity, where it's just like, yeah, go to church on Sunday, you know, give my tithe, serve once a month, I'm a good Christian, go home. But yet that's not what God's drawing us to. And I love this line that he says in verse 32, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. I, I don't know about you, but I hinge most of my life on that statement because I believe he's drawing everyone. And I mean everyone. The people that we would name the furthest from God. The people who are the least like us. You know, I, I, I've... I hope I don't step on too many toes. You know, someone, actually, that's funny. Someone I met, I met this morning said, oh, you're going to step on my toes. He said, most likely I'm going to kick you in the shin. That just came out. <laughs> you ever get kicked in the shin? It's the worst. But man, doesn't it wake you up? Listen, you look at the world right now, transgenderism, sexuality and the search for fulfillment through that. All the stuff that we're seeing that's happening. And, and some of us, we want to kind of just like, okay, I'm going to live in my life over here. It's fine. The world maybe feels crazy over there. But the reality is, and when I look at those things, and it's easy, and then, you, then you've got Christians in the world that are just like, we've got to make sure everybody knows this is wrong. We've got to be really loud about it. But I'll tell you what I feel when I see that. A desperate cry for truth. Someone's searching for something real, and they're willing to go to the ends of the world to find it. To change their own bodies to find it. I, I'm telling you, that's just a desperate cry for some sort of fulfillment that this world has fallen flat in. And to me, that's not someone who's distant from God, but actually someone who's searching for him but hasn't quite found him yet. And unfortunately, the church's stance is like, let's make sure they stay way over there. Rather, we should be saying, listen, come and hear something. Come and hear that there's life for you. It doesn't matter what you look like or who you like or whatever. God's going to do some work in you. I can't promise. There's death involved. But he's inviting you in. No matter who you are, because he literally says it, I will draw everyone to myself. There is not a person who has breathed air on this planet that God has not made a plan to draw their heart to him. I don't care how far or distant they look from God right now, he's working in them. You know, I think that we, all, we always think in numbers and numerical values, and we think in distance, and I, I look at someone, and I can easily judge them. Oh, look at all, look how they look. Literally, they dress this way, or they have too many tattoos, or whatever, too many piercings. And it's easy to go, wow, that person's probably far from God. There's no distance in God's mind. We calculate in miles and inches and whatever else, but I'm telling you, distance to God, there's no such thing. Everyone's near to God. He's drawing everyone. Now the truth is some will resist. Some will reject. Some will push back and never say yes. That's choice. That's free will. But there's a place where 
as Christians, as those who have drawn into his love and understand it, we should be helping the process. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. This is my prayer for you this week. That you would be reminded for yourself first of this. No matter what you've done, no matter what you think you are or who you are, no matter how far you feel you've strayed from God, he didn't come just to put a verdict over your life. He came to save you. From whatever circumstance and situation, ones that were created against you, ones you created yourself, it doesn't matter. He came to save us, to rescue us, every single one of us. And there's this reminder we have to have that because when we remember that he came to save us, then something happens. You want to know what it is that I'm praying for? Is that you realize everyone around you he came to save too. That every person you have ever brushed past in the Walmart aisle, every person that you walked by on a street, every coworker you've ever seen in your life, that Jesus literally has their name on his heart and he's drawing them. And there's a process. It's not all at once. Everyone doesn't just come flooding to Jesus in one moment always, but I'm telling you this, we better keep our eyes open for the moments that he is. And I think that today, in, in today's world, there's a moment actually. I think there's a moment where a lot of people are sick and tired of just the status quo of life. People are awakening that, to this idea of just being unsatisfied and saying, I want something more. You know, I don't know if you've seen the movie Jesus Revolution, but if you haven't, go see it. Man, it was good. I cried the whole time. There's a scene where Greg, you, you know, I'm Greg too. Where Greg Laurie, he's just tripping out of his mind, right? He's on acid and he's in the rain. And he stumbles, he sits on the sidewalk, and then all of a sudden there's Lonnie sitting next to him. This guy who's, who's you know, in the storyline of, of Greg Laurie's life. And if you don't know who they really are, you know, they, they had great impact in the 60s and 70s. And Lonnie's sitting there with this guy, Greg, as he's just tripping out of his mind. And, and then he gets up to leave and he says this statement. He says, Greg, you don't have to run anymore. I cried there because if you don't know my story, that's what I was doing. You don't have to run anymore. And that's the call that Jesus is saying to every one of us. The truth is he's always wanting to come and sit with us, even in the rain when we're high. That's Jesus. I'll just sit with you right here. It's fine. But he's trying to plead with us. You don't have to keep running. That's the heart of God for the world right now in this season. And I'm telling you, I think people are ready to respond to it. Galatians 5, can we stand? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of end, but with a, I want to have a response time. The worship team's going to come. I want to read this to you, Galatians 5. One of my favorite scriptures. I say that about all of them. Galatians 5.1. Paul, he's writing this letter and he says this. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. I find that so interesting because I think sometimes in Christianity we think that like one prayer is going to do the trick. Hey, I'm free. 
But the struggle with sin, the struggle with missing the mark of the design of God in our lives is this, that when we go back to those things, it's like we get tied back up real quick. And sometimes we even get comfortable with those ties. We get comfortable with the way we're slaves to certain things. But today I want to I want to challenge you. God has given you freedom, but find the way to stay free. And there's a whole message about how you can stay free. But the first is this. Spend time with Jesus in any way that you can figure out how to do that. Take a walk outside and notice the world he created for you. Put on worship music. Pray. Spend time meditating on his word, the things he wants to say to you. I'll tell you, whenever I'm getting unfree in my life, it's simply because I haven't spent enough time with him. And this morning, in in this time, I want to have a moment where the team's going to worship and I'll invite you to come forward. And But this is, what, this is what I want you to do. God, help me become free for you. That there's a place of whatever is happening in your life, God wants to bring freedom in. I think he wants to remind you of it today. He wants to set you free today. There's all sorts of things we need to be set free from. But let God whisper it to you this morning. Let him remind you of what he's done for you this morning. And if maybe you're that person that's just been evading the death that is needed, let him draw you all the way in. Let that kernel of wheat go into the ground so it can produce the very things God designed for you. Can we do that? Because listen, we're coming up to Easter. And to celebrate Easter means to celebrate new life. And we first have to understand that new life within us for us to celebrate it. And God wants to draw some people. I'm believing for more people than we have chairs, for more people than we have parking spaces, not because I just want to see a full room, but because I simply want people to know the goodness of God. Invite someone this week. Be be Philip and Nathaniel where they... He brings his friend to Jesus. Just bring someone like, hey, you've got to come and hear this guy. And don't don't mean me. You've got to come and see this Jesus that I've met. You've got to experience him like I've experienced him. I'm telling you, somebody wants to respond to you this week. Jesus is drawing someone that only you can bring to him. Who is it? Be reminded of the freedom he's done in you so that you can see the freedom he wants to accomplish in others. I'm going to pray right now. And the team's going to sing a song maybe. And I would encourage you. You know, lately we've been opening up the front, the altar, whatever you want to call it, the front of the church. And I'll say this often, but the church front isn't more holy than the back. But there's absolutely something about symbolically leaving where you're at to go to where Jesus is drawing you. And listen, if you're uncomfortable in leaving where you're at in a church full of people who know Jesus, it's hard to do that in a world where they don't. So I challenge you this morning 
to challenge yourself. Step out of your comfort zone. Respond to Jesus in a new way this morning. Let him draw your hearts. No matter where you are, no matter what's happening, he wants to bring freedom in you. Let's pray. God, we just thank you that you are good. God, we thank you that you've drawn every one of us, even everyone that's in this room, everyone online, God, that there's no coincidence of even why we're here this morning, no no just random reason that we've ended up in this place, God, that you've been drawing our hearts. God, maybe we've been following you for 30 years, but there's still a drawing. Maybe we've been following you for a few minutes, God, but there's still a drawing. So, Father, I pray, draw us closer to you. God, let people see your goodness in us. God, let us be reminded of the freedom you have for the world. God, let us not get locked up in slavery. God, let us not get locked up under judgment, but understanding that, Jesus, you are working new life into every one of us. So, Jesus, we just give you our lives again. We give you this time again in Jesus' name. Listen, if you want to respond, come forward. Love to have you. We're going to just take a few minutes to worship. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.